Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Today we're going to be in uh, 1 Samuel 25, if you want to start turning there. Uh, as I was preparing for the sermon this week, I was struck with uh, just how good God is to us. And how much he meets us where we are. Uh, take, for instance, this book, your Bible. You got it there in your hand. He could have made it chock full of perfect people that always said and did the perfect thing, that always gave their feelings to God, never had a moment of distress, never broke down in tears, never raged in anger, but he didn't. Within this book, there are stories upon stories of, of good men and bad men and virtuous women and horrible women. And every one of them, with the exception of one, I'll let you guess who that might have been, was a sinner and flawed. Some more obvious than others, but they were all sinners. And so it is today. The, the king to be, King David, the anointed, who acted so godly last week and showed heavenly restraint. And then, and then he took that restraint and he used it to restrain others from sinning. Well, this week, well, Let's just read the Bible and let the Bible tell the story, shall we? 1 Samuel 25, and I'm going to pause for just a second here, because I did the no-no and got on stage with my gum. Yeah. My high school choir teacher would be so mad right now. And I'm embarrassed that I just admitted I was in high school choir. Okay, 1 Samuel 25, starting in verse 1. Then Samuel died, and all Israel gathered together and mourned for him, and buried him at his house in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich. And he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it came about while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the man's name was Nabal. And his wife's name was Abigail. And the woman was intelligent, beautiful in appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his dealings. And he was a Calebite. Then David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and visit Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him, Have a long life, peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them, nor have they missed anything all the days they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes. For we have come on a festive day. Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in David's name. And then they waited. But Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is this son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shearers? and give it to men whose origin I do not know. So David's young men retraced their way and went back, and they came and told him according to all these words. David said to his men, Each of you gird on your sword. So each man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went up behind David, while 200 stayed with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we were not insulted. 
nor did we miss anything as long as we went about with them while they were in the fields. They were a wall to us, both by night and by day, all the time we were with them tending the sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what you should do, for evil is plotted against our master and against all his household, and he is such a worthless man that no one could speak to him. Then Abigail hurried and took 200 loaves of bread, two jugs of wine, five sheep already prepared, five measures of roasted grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. She said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband of all. It came about as she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hidden part of the mountain, that behold, David and his men were coming down toward her. So she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all this man has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed, and all that belonged to him, nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. May God do so to the enemies of David. And more also, if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face before David, and bowed herself to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my lord, be the blame, and please let your maidservant speak to you, and listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not let my lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal, for his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my lord, as the lord lives, and as your soul lives, since the lord has restrained you from shedding blood, and from avenging yourself by your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek evil against my lord be as Nabal. Now let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my lord be given to the young men who accompany my lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil will not be found in you in all your days. Should anyone rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord does for my Lord, according to all the good he has spoken concerning you, and appoints you ruler over Israel, this will not cause grief or a troubled heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself. When the Lord deals well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your discernment, and blessed be you who have kept me on this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, Unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been left in the ball until the morning light as much as one male. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and granted your request. May God have his understanding to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Most holy Lord, we pray for your teaching today, for your grace throughout our week for your restraint when we are carried away. Amen. On December 22nd, uh, 2020, there was a 105-car oil train, and it was, it was headed to uh, Bellingham, Washington. There's a refinery there, and they had stopped before they, they went to the factory, and they were doing some things and making sure the refinery was open and everything, and when they started again, uh, the, the engineers and the train thought everything was fine. They started going, but what they didn't know was 
At one point, the coupler that held the trains together let go. And so they accelerated and they kept going. And you would think, well, it would be okay, right? Because the train behind it didn't have an engine or anything. It wasn't pushing it, but it did have an engine because it was such a big train. It had engines on the front and engines on the back. So while the front train accelerated and then eventually slowed to go into the refinery, the rear train just kept accelerating until they met. The three oil, oil cars, big train cars, exploded into a big, fiery flame. Speaking, uh, the authorities speaking said there's only one way the train could have derailed like that, according to the union representing the rail crew and a retired federal investigator of railroad accidents, sabotage. Isn't it amazing that a knuckle, which is fairly small in comparison to the train, is the thing that keeps the train from destroying itself? That little knuckle keeps the train at the same speed and it keeps the cars and the engines working in harmony. And just like there are vitally important knuckles or couplers on trains, there are couplers throughout the Bible that hold the whole story together. If one of these stories goes off the rails, it wrecks the whole thing. And I assure you the explosion would be infinitely larger than a couple of oil cars. We get to see one of those couplers today. A, a vital handoff from one car to the next. Verse 1, then Samuel died. And all Israel gathered together and mourned for him and buried him at his house in Ramah. This was a, a very short description of what happened to Samuel, right? And we would expect, I mean, the book is called Samuel. We would expect a little more detail. But we get, then Samuel died. Right? It, it sounds small, but the implications there are huge. They're huge. Because we're, we're, we're left going from the judges. Right? This was all the judges before Samuel. He was the last judge. But Samuel was also the first prophet. And we know now that the, the prophets spoke to the kings. Right? God would speak to the prophet. The prophet would instruct the king. The king would act in God's will. And so there's this coupler here that is represented by Samuel. Right? He's the last judge. He's the first prophet. And now as he dies, we're moving on to a, a whole new car in the train, the king car. And, and, and Israel is now all in. And on that long train... It's going to weave through the whole Bible, from creation to revelation. We're going to, we're going to move from one car to the next. And now we get to, to head into the king car. We don't know what to make of, of David going into Paran. Again, the narrator is, is light on the details. He doesn't tell us very much about that. He just says he went down to the wilderness of Paran. The only thing that we do know is Paran is far south from Israel. Uh, would have been far away from King Saul. So maybe he was worried about, you know, now that Samuel was gone, uh, Saul was going to uh, ramp up his action against David. We don't know. But we do know that all of Israel mourned in Samuel's death. And they had good reason to mourn. I mean, we've, we've been, I felt a little mournful when I was reading it, you know. We, we, we've studied this together. We've been with Samuel since before he was born. We got to see Hannah praying in the temple. We got to see him dedicated. We got to see him grow up and save Israel from the from the, the uh, Philistines. Several occasions he saved. Now he's gone, and all Israel mourns. And we don't know why David went down to Paran. But I can say this: 
because everything else would be conjecture. I can say this, though. Looking back with a little time under my belt, it's amazing to look back at all the times that I was moved or, or I moved myself with no idea of what God had in store for me. And able to see now the moments and, and the lessons and the effects of each one of these somewhat random movements on my part, but well planned out on God's part. Amen. It blows my mind. Mm -hmm. Yesterday we had a group here called By the Book. Some of you were here. Anybody remember the song, by the way? Nobody in the first service did, so you can be a hero right now. I remember the verse. I can't remember the tune of the song. They taught us a, a song. They're, they're very big on memorizing uh, whole books of the Bible by song. Okay? And so uh, they were here yesterday in what would seem to be a random thing. I, uh, they knew Sam, our, our drummer, and they sent me a random email one day, and they said, hey, you know, we're doing this traveling thing. We'd like to stop by your church. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. They sent me some YouTube clips, and I was like, yes, please. Now, please come. Right? Very random, just out of the blue. But it was it was beautiful to hear to hear God's scripture sung to you, to hear it in, in, in the instruments accompanying it. It was such a beautiful moment, completely unplanned by me, but completely planned by God. Amen. Back to our passage. Back to our passage. Verse two. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it came about while he was shearing a sheep in Carmel. That's verse 2, right? Let me get this little side note there. But I just want to tackle verse 2 here. Because you can tell a lot about a man by how he introduces himself. Right? Or in this case, how the narrator introduces the man. What does he mention first? Wealthy. Wealthy. What do, what, do, what do people talk about when you first meet them, right? You can tell what's important to them by what they talk about. And in this case, we don't even know his name before we know the size of his bank account, right? And once we, once we get past the very detailed size of his bank account, we finally get his name, but it's in, it's in a little aside. You know, it's in the little brackets there. Now, the man's name was Nabal, right? And, and, and then we get to meet his wife, Abigail, and she's intelligent and beautiful in appearance. Man was harsh and evil in his dealings. We get that little chunk there. He was a Calebite. Uh, I won't go into that too much. Caleb is one of the one of the two spies that went into the promised land and came back and gave a good report. Everybody else said, "No, we shouldn't go." Caleb was one of the one of the ones that, that got to enter the promised land. He was a Calebite. We finally get a name. I titled this sermon "Acting the Nabal." Anybody want to guess what Nabal means? Who he is? Fool. It means fool. I have no idea why his mom named him that. I would be a little ticked off if my mom named me that. But his name is Nabal. It means fool or foolishness. And, and as if to accentuate the foolishness of the man, we immediately get introduced to his wife, Abigail. And not unlike when many of you first met me, and then you were introduced to my wife, you were left asking, what in the world is this woman doing with this man? <laughs> He's harsh and evil, and she's intelligent and beautiful. For our single men out there, notice intelligence came first, right? Let's tuck that away for future use. She can be beautiful, but she was intelligent first. And we're going to find out that she was also prudent. Prudent, that's a word we don't use very much anymore, right? Prudent. So I'll explain it like this. 
Intelligence is knowing it's raining outside and you should use an umbrella. Wisdom is knowing to open the umbrella in the rain. Prudence is knowing when to open the umbrella. Right? You don't open the umbrella in the sanctuary, you take it outside and as soon as you go outside, that's when you open the umbrella. It's about when do you use your wisdom? That's prudence. And Abigail was rich in all three. Intelligence, wisdom, and prudence. So we met uh, Nabal and Abigail, and now we're going to hear about David. right? And we recognize that some time has passed. Since the last time when he could have killed Saul, he didn't kill Saul, and they went their separate ways. Now we realize that some time has passed, and we'll realize that more. You probably realized that when I was reading the story there, that time has moved on. For now, we find out that, that David hears Nabal is shearing his sheep. And since most of us aren't farmers here, we probably don't understand why he's so excited about shearing sheep. But we're about to, we're about to see why. Let's look at verse 5. So David sent 10 young men, and he says, greet them in my name, and then he, he gives them the speech to say to Nabal. Right? It's a very respectful speech. Peace be with you. Peace be with your house. Peace be with all you have. And he said, I heard you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we haven't insulted them or missed anything in the days they were in Carmel. Ask your young men. They'll tell you the same. This was a big deal back then, because nowadays you could go out into a field and you might see like a rabbit or maybe even a coyote. But back then, if you took a flock of sheep out into the wilderness, there was all sorts of stuff that wanted to eat those sheep. There were other people that wanted to eat those sheep and would do so. There were wild animals. I mean, we heard about David when he was fighting Goliath. He said, I fought off a bear and a lion with my bare hands, right? These were the things that they faced when, they, when the shepherds went out there. And he said, we watched over your shepherds while you were there. In fact, the very sheep that you're shearing right now are probably there because of us. Because if we hadn't been there, you might not have any sheep at all. So give us a little something, would you? Just whatever, whatever you have laying. Whatever you find at hand, send it to us. David's contribution was not trivial. He had risked the lives and the well-being of those he was with to protect the very sheep Nabal was shearing. And one would think, yeah, I can see busting them off a little chunk change. Send them a little cheddar. But remember who we're talking about here. You don't get a name like Nabal for nothing. So we see verse 9, David's young men, they come, they give the speech, and then they waited. So Nabal pulls out his negotiating for dummies book, and he sees the first tactic for negotiating is to make the other person wait. Right? It shows that you're in control. You're in power. Wait there, I'm going to figure this one out. Verse 10, but Nabal answered David's servant and said, who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. You can tell he's a fool because he contradicts himself right away there. Who's David and who's the son of Jesse? Well, obviously, he knows who David is because he knows he's the son of Jesse, right? I don't think that's really what he's getting at there. I think he's more like, who are you to ask me for peace? Who are you? He knew David. He knew about David, right? All of Israel loved David. He knew about David. He would have known about Saul. He knew what was going on there. He says, there are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. Then we have verse 11. Shall I then take my bed, my water, my meat, my shoes, 
We're in the Old Testament now. What do we look for for the exclamation point? Repetition. Right? They didn't have exclamation points. So uh, instead of saying my exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, they would say my, 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 my. And so that's, that's written in there to draw our attention to that. What does Nabal value? My, my. Right? And it reminds us of, of Jesus talking about the, the rich man who built his barns. Right? He had barns and he had a really good harvest. So he says, I'm going to tear down my little barns and build bigger barns. And then I'm just going to spend the rest of my life in luxury. And God said that very night, you fool. For tonight I will demand your life from you. We see that, uh, who is this son of Jesse? Who else like to call David the son of Jesse? We know that Saul's influence was here. We don't see Saul until the very end of the chapter, but we know his influence is here. And we know that Nabal was only concerned about my, my, my. And the response is so insulting and downright ridiculous and, well, foolish, right? So verse 12, David's young men retrace their way. They go back and they tell him to David, I think David's going to take it pretty well, right? David says to his men, each of you gird on his sword. Sword up, boys. We're going to town. He grabs 400 of them. He leaves 200 with the baggage. And 400 dudes with swords come charging down the mountain towards the ball. What had been a polite and respectful request now turns into a blood feud. And David is consumed with rage. And he wants revenge. The same David that just last week we saw spare Saul is now consumed with rage. And just when David is about to make a royal mess of things, it just so happens that an unnamed servant saves the day. I told you we were going to study this, the unnamed servant thing, right? They're all over through here. And you see, it just so happens that this unnamed servant comes walking up. And he goes to Abigail and he says, hey, David's here. And uh, Nabal was He's Nabal. And these men were very good to us. He gives us a little more detail here. He said, we didn't miss anything as long as we went around with them. Um, they were a wall to us, both by night and by day. That's, a, that's an important thing. In this time frame, if you had a city that didn't have a wall, you were constantly worried about what was going to come through your door. Right? It could be a bear. It could be a lion. It could be a raider. Right? But when you're in a city with a wall, you've got time. You can come in. You can relax. You can... Let your guard down a little bit. And he said, when David was there, he was like a wall around us. We could relax a little bit. We didn't have to constantly fight bears and lions and raiders. Now, therefore, know and consider what you should do. For evil is plotted against our master. And then catch this. Catch this phrase. May this never be said about anybody here. And he is such a worthless man that no one could speak to him. So caught up in himself. So caught up in being right. No one could speak to him. Now we see Abigail's prudence here. Verse 18, then Abigail hurried. She didn't wait. She didn't debate. She didn't say, mm, maybe I should do this. or maybe I... She acted quickly. No wait time. And she takes this very long laundry list of, of things, and she throws them on donkeys and sends them out ahead of her, and then she follows behind. You should know that, I mean, if you look at the numbers and then you think 600 people, some of you folks that have planned parties like the Women's Committee, you know, they're, they're looking at this and they're going, that's not going to please 600 people for very long. And that's not really the point. The point is, 
she's bringing him the food that he requested. She's offering uh, a, a little bit of a sacrifice there to, to appease David, to, to assuage, thank you, assuage his anger, thank you. said there were young men gone. Behold, I'm coming after you. But she did not tell her husband at all. Because no one could talk to him. She said what she was going to do. She'd be like, he, he would say, no, 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 put those donkeys back. Son of Jesse, he doesn't deserve this. And she gets on her donkey and she's riding down. Now the narrator doesn't make, the, he kind of puts them close together. So we don't know if like, she overheard this or if this is just something that he had said. You know, maybe she was under the hidden part of the mountain there and David had his men are coming down, but David had said, I've guarded this man's sheep in vain, and he's returned evil for good. Verse 22, may God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belong to him. Does that sound familiar? Sound a little solidish, right? Mm -hmm. Abigail, it's, it's, it's almost... Uh, it's almost like you took last week's story and just kind of flipped the roles here. Abigail shows up on 23 and she dismounts from her donkey and falls on her face in front of David and bowed herself to the ground. Just last week we saw David do that. right? When he came out of the cave, he said, Saul, I got your robe. And then went down and bowed on the ground. And she fell at his feet. And she took the blame. She said, on me alone, my Lord, be the blame. And I love this. She says, and please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. And she doesn't wait for a response. She doesn't wait for her to say, okay, go ahead and speak. She just keeps going, right? Please listen to the words of your maidservant. Please don't let the Lord pay attention to this rich man Nabal. Right? She's getting it out there. This is worthless man Nabal, for as his name, fool, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. And she continues, she says, now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord gave. Notice the repetition there. My Lord, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord. Right? Since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand. So she's already assuming that she's stopped him. Right? One lady, 400 dudes with swords. And she's like, since you've stopped, since you're not going to do this, let me continue. Now let this gift which your maidservant has brought uh, to my Lord be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant. She's, she's being very wise here. She's admitting that, yes, David has a reason to be angry. He was insulted. He has a reason to be angry, but you need, to, you need to give this to the Lord. For the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. We heard it from Jonathan. We heard it from Saul. And now we're hearing it from Abigail. For the Lord will make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil will not be found in you in all your days. Should anyone rise up to pursue you and seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies, and I like what she did here, he will sling out from the hollow of a sling. I don't know if she did this on purpose, but it kind of seems like maybe she's reminding him of Goliath a little bit there. You know, remember when big, strong man. You took down that Goliath. <laughs> but the lives of your enemies, he will sling out from a hollow of a sling. And when the Lord does for my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and appoints you over ruler over Israel, and this is important, this is why she stopped him. 
This will not cause grief or a troubled heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself. He says, you're going to be king. It's going to happen. We all know it. Even Nabal knows it. He might sit there and act like a knucklehead and say, who dares you, soldier? But he knows you're going to be king. And when you are king, you don't want to have something that you look back on and you go, ah. Oh. And wiped out a whole village. Just like Saul, who wiped out a whole village. You don't want this haunting you for the rest of your life. It will cause you grief and a troubled heart. And the Lord deals well with my Lord by remembering your maidservant. And just like last week, right, when David went out, he fell on his face, he said his whole speech just like she did. He didn't pause, didn't give him a chance to respond. Just blah, blah, blah. It's out there. Just like last week, David has a Saul moment. All of a sudden, he's confronted with his sin. All of a sudden, it's apparent to him, and it, it breaks him. But unlike Saul, his repentance is going to be permanent in verse uh, 32. He, then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discernment. Blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and avenging myself by my own hand. He begins blessing. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been left to Nabal until morning light as much as one male. David's error was not his feelings. And I want to point this out to you out there who, who may be dealing with something. I realize that we're all dealing with something, at least on a small scale, but some people are dealing with bigger things in their lives right now. Things that can, that can cause anger or uh, rage or, or just sadness or depression. And this is something, it may be overwhelming. It might be something that drives you to the floor and weeping. Or it could be something that makes you so angry you could spit. Whatever it is, please note that David wasn't thankful for Abigail for quieting his emotions. He didn't say, the Lord God of Israel lives who has restrained me from getting angry about the unjust way Nabal treated me. No. He's thankful that God used Abigail to restrain him for what he was going to do. And please understand, I'm not saying it's okay to hate somebody as long as you don't punch them in the face. <laughs> Jesus put that to bed when he said, if you hate your brother in your heart, you have committed murder. But what I am trying to point out here is that having an emotional response to something is not a sin. It's what you do after that emotional response that matters. If someone deliberately or even accidentally insults you, God isn't sitting up in heaven with a heart rate monitor to see if your blood pressure goes up. So he can mark you down. Oh, sin. Sin. He got angry at sin. He is looking to us, though, to see that we take whatever we are feeling and turn it over to him. In Ephesians 4, verses 26 through 27, Paul tells us, Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Brothers and sisters, we are not called to be robots. We're not called to sit there when someone insults us and go, that doesn't matter, I don't care, I give it to the Lord. But we are also not supposed to be avengers. 
Verse 35, David received from her hands and built your house of peace. I've listened to you. I've granted your request. And then Abigail goes home to Nabal. He's holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. And then we see Abigail's prudence here again. She knows she needs to tell Nabal what happened. But she doesn't do it right away because he's four sheets to the wind. But she did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. I just wanted to point one thing out there. If you remember, we had a big old laundry list of what Abigail took with her, right? It was so much stuff, they had to put it on donkeys to get it out to David, right? And we see here, Nabal's having a, the, the party of a lifetime. And he doesn't even notice the whole train of donkeys is missing from his food stash there. So this wasn't a case of Nabal saying, well, I can't feed my shearers if I give it to David. He didn't even notice when donkey loads of stuff went out the door. There was so much food and so much abundance. And he parties hard. But there's always a morning, right? Verse 37. But in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him this thing. His heart died within him so that he became like a stone. Likely he had a stroke or something. And then verse 38. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Little verse. Just a little thing, right? How easy it is for the Lord to avenge his people. Just one little, short little verse. Ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and died. What would have happened to David if he'd gone down there and slain that entire I wanted to point out, too, the difference here. We get this little itty-bitty verse here about Nabal. We also got a, a, an itty-bitty verse about Samuel. But what happened when Samuel died? All of Israel came out and mourned him, right? We read this about Nabal, and really all we hear is kind of a relief sigh. He's gone. The fool is left. When David hears that Nabal is dead, he says, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach, from the hand of Nabal, and has kept back his servant from evil. The Lord has also returned the evil doing of Nabal on his own head. And then David did what any red-blooded American man would do. He's not American, by the way. I just want to make sure you <laughs> David sent a proposal to Abigail. Remember, she was intelligent, beautiful, and also prudent. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her, saying, David has sent us to take you as his wife. That may sound a little direct to us, right? When I when I proposed to Allison, I didn't send my best friend over there and say, come with me, I want your wife. Right? <laughs> but that's how they did it back then, right? The friend would go and they would say, David has sent us to take you as his It's a question. And she arose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, behold, your maidservant is a maid to wash the feet of my Lord's servant. She gets on a donkey, she takes five maidens with her, and she goes to live the life of Robinhood. Right? Very similar to Robinhood. She's got this beautiful house, all the food, all the money. She walks away from all of it to go with David, who's still on the run. Saul is still there. She's still, in fact, later on, we're going to find that she gets captured by enemies. David has to go rescue her. She gives it all up and follows her king. We get these last two little verses here. David had also taken Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they both became his wives. And now Saul had given Michal, I forgot about Michal's daughter, 
made his wife, right? He already had a wife. He took Abigail. He took a Hinnom. And we have to remind ourselves that this is this is historical narrative right here, right? It's it's descriptive. It tells us what's happening. It's not prescriptive. It's not telling us this is how we should live. So nobody go out there and try and pick up another wife. Okay? It's in the Bible. He had wives. Solomon, I mean, descriptive. But it's, it's, it's also very descriptive of what's going to happen to David later, right? We're starting to see the cracks. Up until this chapter, David has been the golden child. He's had spears chucked at him. He's had assassins sent after him. He's, he's been chased through all the woods. He's, he, he had the opportunity to, to kill Saul, and he didn't take it, and he kept his men from doing it. David's the golden child. He can do no wrong. Chapter 25. David's human. And we start to see the cracks in the humanity. Because David is not the one true king of all time. Jesus Christ. This is a, a fairly long passage today, so I don't have a massive amount of time for application. But I do want to highlight a few things that should stick with us as we move away from this chapter. The first truth is a little dark. It's a little ominous, if you will. You see, the simple fact of the matter is, given the right set of circumstances, the right set of events or characters or the right tragedy or, or whatever else, the sin that we look down on today or that we restrain others from doing today could be the sin that sneaks up on us at a later time. Look at David so righteous. Just last week, it was, it was almost too much to stand how righteous he was. When he crept up to the front of that cave, I can honestly say there was a, a little piece of me that wanted to see him run that sword through Saul. And as Saul gasped for his last breath, say something cool like, I got your back. Or, this is for Nob. Right? But he didn't. He was righteous beyond human comprehension. And rather than striking down the man in front of him, this, this murderer, this vengeful assassin, he didn't. And he left the judgment and the vengeance to the Lord. And then he restrained his men from doing it. It's one thing to restrain yourself, but to stand against a whole crowd of your closest friends and restrain them? But here we are one chapter later, and David is telling those same men, Strap on your sword. We're going to go wipe out a village. For, I mean, actually, it was, it was much less what Nabal did to David than Saul. He just insulted him. Saul's been trying to kill him. Nabal just insulted him, and he's going to go wipe out his entire village. This is why Paul told us in Galatians, uh, Galatians 6, 1, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. The sin that we dodge today, the sin that we uh, defeat today, can always sneak back up later. The simple truth of the matter here is that the thing that we need to understand out of this whole passage is God was restraining David in both situations. 
We like to say, oh, David, he did so well restraining here, but he screwed up here. No, no. God was restraining David here, too. David's restraint in story one and God using Abigail to restrain David in this story were both from God. Which leads me to the second truth of our passage. I spoke at the beginning of all this about trains, right? And I made my point about Samuel and the coupler. But there's another smaller train that's running right through last week today and probably two Sundays from now because next week's Christmas. Is it, if, if you all just gave me a few more hours to preach, just a few more, right? We, we could study all three chapters, chapter 24, chapter 25, and chapter 26. They go together like cheese on pizza, right? They, just, they all milk together. If we could study all three of them together, what we would see is what the, the French call the vieux motif. The vieux motif means a dominant reoccurring theme. And I'm hoping you can already see what that theme is, even without studying chapter 26 yet. But if, if my explanations were muddled or, or my exposition unclear, let me be very clear. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. It's not up to us to punish people for the way that they speak, for the way that they treat us. We are to leave all animosity and vengeance at the foot of the cross. And let the God who knows all, who sees all, and who understands all, let him respond. Which sounds about as easy as shopping for Christmas presents at 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve, right? When we're insulted, we want to handle it. There's a whole language dedicated to it. It's called sarcasm. I'm sure you've never used sarcasm before. God knew that we would not be able to handle this. He knew that. And so he restrains us just like he restrained David. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide a way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Amen. The Lord will restrain us. Sometimes when we know we need it, when we want to lash out, but we take it to God, and we leave the vengeance to the Lord, and sometimes even when we don't take it to the Lord. I can think of times in my life where I wanted to lash out. I wanted to state my case, my reason, my emotion. Something gets in the way. And before I can do that, I start to cool down. And before I can act like Nabal, the moment has passed. And I can only thank God for his restraint. You see, we have a God that will grow you, love you with a loyal love, provide for you, deliver you, vindicate you, and even when we fall to our basest desires and are tempted to lash out sinfully, God can and will restrain us. I want to close with this last truth. In the train story, I mentioned that the authorities thought the train uh, crash was actually caused by sabotage, right? The, the way these trains work, they've got air hoses that the brakes are all air operated. So if you cut that hose, all the brakes lock up. Right? But for some reason, when the train separated, the brakes didn't lock up. 
And the engineers should have been able to see that the, the train was disconnected, but for some reason they didn't see that, so they assumed sabotage. And it's not unlike what has been attempted against God's train throughout the whole Bible. Yesterday at the, at the concert, the musicians painted a picture of the Bible that I thought was, was very accurate. They talk about the Bible being a war that has raged through the ages ever since God said those fateful words to the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise on his heel. That was the starting point. From that point, the train took off. And it wound through the Bible, and it wound through time, and every time it stopped, Satan tried to sabotage it. He tried to ruin the brakes or run it off the track. And every time, he failed. Next week, we will celebrate one of his greatest failures of all. For thousands of years, God's promises came true and culminated in the birth of his son. The birth, the living, the dying on the cross, and the being raised again. Satan tried so hard to stop that. He had thousands of years to do it, but he failed. So that all who call on his name now will be saved. God's promises come true every time. And we will celebrate that together next week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for your word, which is true and holy and has never been broken. And we pray as, as we go about our lives, we pray that you would restrain us. Lord, I can be a hothead sometimes. I can be prideful sometimes. And I know I'm not alone in this room. But I pray that you would restrain us. That you would keep us from sin. And that we would listen to you. That we love you so much. And again, we thank you for your holy word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.